0: The Buddha once said that um, a person who is grateful for the help they've received in their life and the person who tries to give something back to those who have helped them. These two kinds of people are rare in the world. It's normal for us as human beings. We tend to be more um, concerned with our own business, more caught up in our own business, our own thoughts and feelings, uh, aspirations, ambitions, and more than we think about other people. But these uh, two, the, the one who is as gratitude and one who tries to pay back something to those who have helped gotowati and these two kinds of people or you could say two qualities of the human mind part of what we call samadhiti in the development of right view, right understanding and the Buddhist path begins with samadhiti, right understanding, right view of the way things are and if you think about it, if we reflect on our lives we couldn't be here without the help of others parents, relatives, teachers, other people in life who have given to us, particularly our parents, but many others as well. And when we come into a monastery, this is a reflection that comes up. And one of the chants the monks do in a monastery quite regularly, we chant, everything I have and use is a gift from others because a Buddhist monastery is founded on uh, generosity and sacrifice. Uh, The very land of the monastery is offered for the purpose of uh, supporting the Sangha in practice. The buildings all come about through uh, donations from the laity, all the food, other things that are used in the monastery every last last thing is donated comes about through generosity so when one stops to think about that the mind um, reflects on that gratitude tends to arise gratitude, appreciation of the good that others have done obviously to build a monastery takes many many people to um, come together in different ways to allow the monastery to uh, grow up. Everybody contributing uh, their, their part. So not, it doesn't uh, belong to one person or it's not the fruits of just one person's actions generally many, many people contribute to a monastery. So if we're able to say like at the moment we have a retreat, come and stay in the monastery, hear the teachings, meditate, spend some quiet time, thinking more deeply about the teachings, generally it gives rise to a sense of gratitude that all of this is possible. It's different from any other kind of place, anywhere where you might pay to go and stay. Where you might still have the sense, well, I earn this money, I pay for the the privilege to stay in a place. In a monastery, it's different. It's a non-commercial, non-profit place. So it all comes about through the goodness of people's generosity, people's kindness. So when one meditates, one reflects on that, quite naturally. And one can extend that back, not just to the monastery, but to many areas of our lives. We realize that we're indebted to others. One of the ways we express that in the monastery is through um, through practice. When you appreciate um, the good that others have done to support you in your own life or give you an opportunity to say meditate like this then that might give rise to the motivation, the energy to practice harder and to make one's practice an offering say back to others when we practice the Dhamma, we practice meditation, we keep precepts, we practice generosity. All of this is not only good for us, but it's good for others. It's good for others to see and to come into contact with. So if somebody is practicing mindfulness, trying to be restrained in their behavior and mindfully focusing on their posture, going through their day, practicing mindfulness. Other people come into contact with them, generally they get a very good impression. People who are not very mindful maybe calm down and become more mindful in the presence of others who are practicing mindfulness. In a monastery where people uh, dedicate themselves to uh, studying the Dhamma and learning the Dhamma and then practicing the Dhamma creates a very good environment. So this is like giving back to others, giving something back to others just through example. One doesn't necessarily have to do anything in particular or say anything in particular. One just gives something back through one's example. This is something Ajahn Chah, our teacher, talked about quite often. A lot of what we can do for others isn't necessarily anything spectacular or we don't necessarily have to do something for others, but just trying to practice the Dhamma properly is already a gift to others. Is a gift to our families or people who know us or come into contact with us. As one who's practicing the Dhamma, it's not just what they do, it's also what they don't do. You know, when you practice Dhamma, you're um, generally living fairly simply and harmlessly, not doing anything that would cause trouble or problems to other people. So just that much already in this world with all its confusion and problems, to have some people who are practicing the Dhamma is already an offering to the world a little bit. Uh, Generating some kindness and mindfulness for the benefit of all beings is already something very special. And you see, as we practice the Dhamma, our minds become a little bit more peaceful. Then they do kind of open up and appreciate the good in others as well as ourselves. Most people find that when they begin practicing Dhamma, they're learning and realizing a lot of things that they didn't realize before. Realizing... how we affect each other is so one important thing. See, what we do, what we say in life affects the people around us. What other people do affects us. So then you particularly become appreciative and aware of uh, what we call Mita, good friends or noble friends. Those people who have given us some uh, inspiration or advice or help in our life. Whether it's, nowadays it could even be just through something a bit indirect, say like you read a, a Dhamma book that helps you to understand the truth a little bit more. That can be, or the person who wrote that book can be like a Kalyanamitta, a good friend even if you've never met them. Or you might hear a Dhamma talk on the internet or a CD. And then people we know who maybe give us good advice at the right time. When some problem comes up in our life, we're not quite sure how to solve it, and they give us some good advice, which is in line with the Buddha Dhamma, the Buddha's Buddhist teachings maybe they remind us about some teaching we'd forgotten about. It could be something very simple, something like just remind us to let go when we're getting all worked up about something. Or if we're angry, they just remind us to forgive. Or if if we're caught up too much in our ambitions and getting very hot, we want to achieve something or get something. And somebody reminds us that you know you can still be happy, even if you don't get the thing you're trying to get. There's many different ways our friends and uh, people we know can teach us the dhamma in different situations. And when you practice the dhamma, you appreciate this. Some of the memories that pop up when your mind is peaceful, and often it's memories of Things people have said that have helped you or the kindness people have shown you, people have supported us and maybe done favours for us, helped us. It's often when your mind is peaceful that those memories come up. One of the qualities that the Buddha talked about in this respect is quality of mudita. often translated as appreciative joy or sympathetic joy or appreciative joy where you appreciate the good in others or the happiness of others, the success of others. So it's a quality that's the direct opposite of jealousy or envy. So it's a quality that doesn't always come naturally to us as human beings. Especially in our modern world where we're very competitive. We're competitive in uh, our education, always trying to get ahead and get good results and feeling we have to compete with other students. Or when we get a job, in the competitive nature of office culture and the workplace, we often feel we have to get ahead, get the better of others, prove ourselves, uh, know more than others or have skills more than others. Often just quite automatically or naturally our culture pushes us in that direction. But the danger is that we we lose track of some of the other positive emotions like mudita appreciation of others not just seeing them as competitors but seeing the good in, good in others the good qualities in others and when we develop this as a thought or a theme in our meditation you know, one, one teacher says it's like free, a free source of happiness you just think of the good of others and you become happy happy that you know those people or that you've met them, happy that you've witnessed the good somebody else has done. So you don't have to do anything other than just open up your mind and be mindful of the good or the happiness of someone else and you can feel happy. This is why I say when you recollect the Buddha, if you've got a, a basis in some faith, you've heard some of the teachings and practiced you think of the Buddha, a lot of mudita arises Oh, the Buddha sacrificed so much, practiced so hard for the good of others and then spent 45 years walking around India teaching, walking barefoot in the hot sun from place to place teaching people and those teachings have come down to us today we can still practice them today. So a lot of mudita for the Buddha, for the spiritual qualities, the paramis of the Buddha, the great peace and wisdom, the great compassion of a Buddha. Or maybe living teachers, For myself, I recollect Ajahn Chah gives rise to great Mudita, thinking of how he practiced, sacrificed. His time, his energy went through a lot of difficulty and with great integrity and great sincerity practiced the Dhamma and then brought that Dhamma that he had practiced and understood to uh, teach others. And he was kind enough to accept Western foreigners to come and live with him. It's not an easy thing to do, say, in Thailand, where, especially in Northeast Thailand, most people don't speak English. It would be very easy for a teacher just to say, well, I'm sorry, no, uh, can't accept foreigners here. can't teach you. I don't have the English language skills, whatever. But he didn't. He said, yes, uh, I'll accept foreigners to ordain here. If he hadn't done that, then this monastery would never have come about, I would imagine. They're going to have mudita for a teacher, for the happiness they experience. Like we say, he's probably an enlightened master, an arahant, so he must have been very peaceful in his mind. And that was displayed in the way he lived, he was a very peaceful man, harmless man, uh, full of wisdom and compassion for others. and one can have joy appreciating that that quality in, a, in another person, appreciate the effort that he made in his practice. He walked around the forests, the jungles of Thailand for many years as a young monk practicing meditation he got malaria many times and often didn't have any medical treatment for that and he had to learn to go against his desires if you ever read his biography he had all kinds of desires and attachments just like us he had to give up a girlfriend he once thought of getting married but gave up the thought of that to become a monk gave up the comforts of home family life to go and live out in the forest as we know and you live out in the forest sometimes it's hot sometimes it's cold sometimes the rain comes you get wet not many comforts if you're a Buddhist monk you've only got your Monk's bowl to cuddle up to at night. Eating one meal a day. Few possessions. All of that in order to train himself in mindfulness and to understand the Dhamma. So we can appreciate that in uh, his life, what he did and how it's reflected in his teachings. His teachings also show great compassion and uh, creativity in how he taught. He's a very good teacher. He's very good at understanding the human mind from his own experience and then passing that on to others. But not just sort of telling them how it is, telling them the truth or telling them what the Buddha taught, but helping people to reflect for themselves, to see themselves. They so always said, you, know, you, you have to learn to teach yourself in Dhamma practice. The teacher just gives you guidelines, advice, then you have to take them and you have to learn how to teach yourself. Be your own teacher. Because we, we can only do the practice for ourselves. We can only know our own mind nobody else can really know our mind. If we have some suffering, we have to learn where's that suffering coming from, what can I do to remedy it, sort it out. We have to be the ones who walk the path, even though others support us and help us. You often would say you have to learn how to have a wise conversation with yourself in Dhamma practice as often as things coming up in your mind that nobody else will know about so how will you deal with that We have to learn how to talk to yourself wisely you know, it's an internal conversation uh, sometimes you have to discuss things with yourself is this right? is that wrong? is this good? is this bad? Is this true correct or is it am I mistaken and he had many um, examples of how to do this and good simple reflections how to do this and one of them was uh, the reflection on the uncertainty of the mind in Thai the word is main it's unsure uncertain you know when you're practicing meditation and different states of mind come up, different moods and reactions, different thoughts different opinions sometimes all you need to do is just talk to yourselves and, mm, it's uncertain, not sure and one day you're meditating, feel very peaceful and you might notice oh, you're becoming a bit attached to that peace so you might remind yourself mm, it's not sure and then don't have to wait long, maybe something comes up and all the peace is gone and you have a more disturbed, agitated mind-state. Or with other people, you know, one, one day somebody you find is a good friend, you're very happy with them and then they say something or do something and the next day you're thinking badly of them. I'm not sure. You know, our mind can change very easily. One day we're very happy to be on retreat and the next day you just want to leave as quickly as possible. But if you have the patience and the willingness to look at it all as Dhamma, then you can teach yourself, you teach yourself the uncertain nature of the mind. Even in one meditation sitting or one Dhamma talk, you might go through many different moods, mood changes might feel interested, and then you feel bored. You feel peaceful, and you feel restless. You feel energetic, and then you feel tired. You know, things change, change around, up and down. So you can keep reflecting, it's not sure. Maybe I'm not going to take this too seriously, this, this thought of mine, or this mood of mine. Because it might change. If I wait a while, maybe it will be completely different. So we have to learn how to stop and look at our own minds and not always take everything quite so seriously you know, every thought that comes up. Sometimes we just look and question things, and ask ourselves. And obviously some of our thoughts are very useful. We can use our the thinking mind, train it to help guide us to understand things more deeply. But other times have to be a bit suspicious of it and not just rush to believe every every reaction, every mood in the mind. Look a bit more deeply into things. Say we're talking earlier about food. You can have hundred and one different opinions about food. I like this food, I don't like that, this is good, that's not good. But when you stop and you question yourself, well what is food anyway? you go more deeply into it. And food is just, it's like a medicine, isn't it? It's just to keep the body going for a day and a night till your next meal give you energy to uh, stay healthy, to have some strength, to keep practicing Dhamma and do the things you have to do. When you stop and you question your own thoughts like that, maybe it helps to clear up in your mind and end a lot of uh, agitation, you know, I like this, don't like that. It just ends everything, becomes very simple, very clear, oh food is just, just a way to keep the body healthy, give it strength. So in the end all you have to do is learn to eat the right amount. The same with other things, the the things we use, say, in the monastery, it's very easy to contemplate like this, isn't it? You ask yourself about clothing. We're so often obsessed with clothing, the way it looks, the color, the style, what matches what. Then, In the monastery, you've got the time to just quietly reflect on it. Well, clothing is just something to protect you against the sun and the rain. It's just that much just useful a useful requisite we say or lodging so you stay in a tent maybe at first when you go to a shop you're interested in different brands of tents and big tents little tents the quality of the PVC lining or all the different kind of aspects of a camping camper's tent And obviously some of that is useful to know but when you stop and question yourself maybe you think, hmm. But in the end a tent is just a means to give you shelter against the weather a place to sleep in private, to meditate. So it doesn't necessarily matter as long as it's big enough for you to lie down in. That's the main thing and keep the rain off, keep the sun off. Or if it's other people, we, often we spend our time thinking about other people. We have to stop and look at some of those thoughts. You know. They're based on perceptions. Often we have very simplified perceptions of other people, just ideas about other people. Maybe based on very little information. We just judge others. I like this person, I don't. This person seems one way, that person seems another way and often we just stick with those thoughts sometimes we have to stop and question ourselves is this really true? is this really correct? what I'm thinking I remember one monk he, he was very particular about who he liked in the monastery the other monks some monks he liked some he didn't and the monks he didn't like he was always very kind of cold with them didn't talk to them, very cold. But he was always hanging around with the monks he liked, his friends. I remember one day we were walking to get our meal and there was one of the monks who he normally didn't like in front of him. But he mistook that monk for being one of his friends because he was walking along behind him. He didn't recognize him. So he called out to him in a very friendly voice, started talking to him from behind. And then when the monk, who he normally considered his sort of more like his sort of enemy or somebody he didn't like, turned around and he recognized who he was, he got a big shock. He's been talking very friendly to someone he'd normally not be friendly to. His own mind tricked him. It's quite interesting to watch that, how we do that to ourselves all the time. We kind of draw up opinions about people. Uh, This is my friend, that one's my enemy, this one's in my group, that one's not. I'm close to this one, not to that one. And we can cause ourselves a lot of suffering, often very unnecessary. Often we just make a very kind of simple judgment then we just stick with that judgment or that perception maybe for many months or years even. If it's someone we don't like, then often we're always looking for the things we don't like in that person to kind of back up our opinion of them. So even if if it's someone you don't like, you generally overlook the good that they do because you've always got the opinion that they're somehow bad or you don't like them. So you only tend to notice the things you don't like about that person. Any good they do, you kind of brush it under the carpet or ignore it. Or similarly, if you really like someone, often you tend to just notice the good things that you do that you approve of and you like. And the things that they do badly or wrong, you tend to ignore. When you practice Dhamma, though, you're trying to get to the truth of things. See, sometimes you have to stop and question your own opinions about other people, and not rush in to judge them. Obviously, we do learn about each other living together in the world. We can see each other's behavior, what we say, what we do. So we do learn about each other, but so often we make opinions about other people, and then just stick to them and never question them, never look more deeply. Or it could be about a place. It could be about a place or even a country. I remember when I first decided to go and become a monk in Thailand, everyone Not sure why, because it wasn't really true, but everyone said, oh, you don't want to go to Thailand, it's full of communists. And there were some communists there, but very few actually, come up as a percentage of the population. So for, for a while I was walking around thinking, am I going to go and live in a country full of communists? I got there, I never met a single communist lived in Thailand 18 years, never met a single communist, as far as I know. And at least nobody openly said they were a communist. Or my own perceptions changed. I went to Thailand, got off the plane in Bangkok, the old airport. When they opened the door of the plane, in those days there's no air aerial walkways from the plane into the terminal you just walk down a ladder onto the tarmac and then across to the terminal so when they opened the door of the plane it's my first moment in Thailand they opened the door and it was around midday it's so hot it's like opening the door going into an oven I'd gone with a friend and we looked at each other we said wow it's so hot because we came from the UK, which is a cold country. My friend started laughing. He says, you want to become a Buddhist monk in Thailand for the rest of your life. You're going to be living in, in an oven for the rest of your life. I thought, mm, well, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe it'll cool down later. It didn't. We didn't sleep a single wink. The first night I went to a hotel, in Bangkok, and they uh, they said, "You can have a room with air conditioning or a room with a fan or a room without a fan." and we were students, so we had very little money. So I said, "Room without a fan." so I didn't sleep a single wink the whole night, so hot that so my friend just kept teasing me "You're going to spend the whole of your life in an oven." But then I lived in Thailand, it didn't take very long, maybe a few months, started getting used to the heat, and the perception changed, didn't think much about it after that. Ended up living in Thailand 18 years, and then I came to Warburton after that. And we got to Warburton, and I remember the, the daytime was quite warm, but the, fir- the first night was very cold. And I looked at the other monk who came with me and said, we're going to spend all our life in a cold country. (laughs) After Thailand it was very cold. So perceptions are just not sure, they're not certain. You can use this reflection. Maybe you have an opinion about something today, but tomorrow it might have changed already. And that helps you to let go a little bit, loosen up a bit, not take everything quite so seriously, and then you don't suffer so much. In the end, these things are just what they are. Heat is heat, cold is cold. A person is uh, just the way they are. They have their good qualities, their strengths, their weaknesses. They are just what they are or the way they are. Most of our suffering comes from what we think about things, isn't it? Always falling into our preferences. I like this, don't like that. In a way we're kind of trapped. If we never look more deeply, we kind of get trapped into our different views on things. So meditation is one way it helps us to understand this better. We can stop it's like you stop and step back and look at your own mind a little bit more closely and question things, find out more. Is it true? When I lived, lived in England, the food in England is fairly bland. So I got used to eating English food, bland food. and I went to Thailand, very spicy food. And I'd always been afraid of spicy food, being used to bland food. So I went to Thailand thinking, oh, Thai food, very spicy. What am I going to do? Then living in Thailand for a while, after a while, the food... I just got used to it. Got used to eating spicy food until it was quite normal. I remember when I went back to England, it was after many, many years in Thailand, being in Thailand 12 years before I went back to England. And I started thinking, "Mm, the food is very bland. (laughs) Why don't they add some chili to the food? On and on it goes, isn't it? The mind is never satisfied. It's always falling into its different views, perceptions on things, getting caught out, suffering, even over the most simple things. So the only way to look at this. You have to learn to see how easily the mind is, we say it's conditioned by our experience and we grasp at our experience, we latch on to things and those become fixed views in our mind, fixed ways of thinking and often cause a lot of suffering. And when we practice mindfulness then we're little by little we're just going a little bit more deeply into our mind, just sort of uprooting things. Aren't you? you sort of lever something up, look at it, look what's underneath. Maybe at the very least you just notice how one's thoughts, views opinions, they're all very temporary. They come and go on that level. The only thing that is, isn't temporary is the understanding that everything else is temporary. You understand that thoughts are uncertain, they just come and go, come and go. The only thing that's certain is the understanding that they're all uncertain. This is why the Buddha said insight, wisdom, is uh, so valuable to us because it gives us some real grounding in our lives. It gives us some real refuge or stability because it gives us true understanding of the way things are rather than what we tend to be caught up in is a more superficial understanding. We kind of add on labels to our experience. saying I like this, don't like that, this is good. That's not so good. And we live our lives that way often. Often trying to get the things we like and try and hold on to that which we like and try to get away from what we don't like. And a lot of our suffering comes around that way. So we can use this reflection, it's uncertain, not sure. Maybe what I like yesterday, I won't like tomorrow. What I like today, I won't like tomorrow what I didn't like before, maybe I'll start liking again. You're not sure. You can apply that to people and places. All the things of this life, things of this body, things of this mind. Anyway, these are a few reflections on the Dhamma for you to take away, contemplate. Can... uh, Carry on practicing meditation for the rest of the afternoon, as you wish, sitting or walking.